Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Again, we're kicking off our uh, fall season today with the start of Sunday School. Uh, Propel is starting this week, uh, a new preaching series. And with that, uh, we're also encouraging everyone who calls KBC their home to plug in. And not just to plug in in some area to serve the body that's needed. We hope you are finding your niche uh, amongst us, but also to plug in relationally. And we recognize that this happens in a number of different ways, whether it's women's Bible study or the men's group that's going to be starting up again at the end of the month um, or, or what have you. Uh, but at least um, as elders, we're, we're trying to facilitate that from our end by restructuring and relaunching our home groups. And I mentioned this last week a little bit, and I just want to explain a little bit more today of what that might look like in the year going forward. Some of these are going to continue to look like they've looked in the past. Uh, Elder-led, medium-sized groups organized around some particular night of the week. But for others, we're hoping that, that you will connect in a smaller group of six to eight individuals living in your general geographic area, if that's possible. And we're encouraging all groups, um, those that are continuing in a, a past um, way, those who are starting in a fresh way, we're going to uh, encourage all groups to take what we're doing here on Sunday mornings and to drive it deep into each other's lives. That this is the place these would have in and between us. We're not looking for you to commit for life just once every other week for the fall. If it's working well, then you can re-up for the spring five or so times in the fall, five or six times in the spring, and then out of that, that, that they would be flowing into, into the daily life of you so that when life hits the fan, someone's there to hold your hand. You need that. I needed that. Yesterday, Catherine held my hand. My tooth broke, and I needed a hand. But it would have been helpful to have more hands. I was too late, though. I didn't, I didn't reach out. But it's helpful to have somebody to go to, right, when, when life is falling apart at the seams. And we want to do that for each other. The hope is that these groups become not only the primary connection point for those participating in them, but also the place that they're being challenged in the faith and cared for when life seems to be falling apart. And where individuals and couples are encouraging one another and even partnering with one another in creative ways for the advancement of the gospel. So if you're interested in that, let me encourage you, if you're not connected with a group already or if you're looking for um, something new in that realm, uh, to identify a few individuals that might be interested in walking alongside with you. And if you can't do that, just email uh, Sandy. would be a great one to email. Admin at kishbible.org. She'll probably pass it on to me. We'll help you get connected. If you, you can't find anybody, but you know that that's a piece of life that you would really benefit from. So let me just encourage you to do that because it's something uh, the elders care deeply about and it's something that we're actually going to be intentional about following up with those who call KBC their home to make sure that you're connected in some way, that you're relationally dialed in so that you're not falling through the cracks because we don't want that for each other. 
Well, with that, though, let's turn now. We're going to be turning uh, to God's word. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're jumping into a new series today on the book of Jonah. And we ask, I ask that you would speak to us now through your word. And that unlike Jonah, who wasn't, wasn't willing to, to stop and listen, I pray that we would be. Not just willing to stop and listen, but to listen and obey. In the name of Christ. And for the sake of Christ. And I pray that it would be by the power of Christ. Amen. I remember the first morning I woke up under the African sun, just being amazed at how bright and clear and crisp it was. I had been invited to teach a class to a group of graduate student pastors on the foundational principles of how to interpret the Bible. And I can't tell you how excited I was. I had left the day after Christmas, but this, that year, this was really my Christmas present. I was so excited, and that excitement followed me. It, it, it was stoked all the way from landing late Saturday night to the time I woke up Sunday morning. I caught a bus across town, and that was exciting in itself because there are no rules of the road over there. But it followed me all the way to, to getting to one of the influential churches in the city where I was, Addis Ababa, to one of the influential churches where I sat down and had my first face-to-face encounter with the prosperity gospel. Now, I had seen things like this from a distance, whether on TV or on YouTube or, or, or through some other means, but I had never sat through it personally. And for three hours, listened to a preacher who only whipped out the Bible in his latest request for his people's latest offering. To, to underpin that. And it's one of the sermons I will never forget. But I think what broke my heart the most is that while I was sitting there in this flooded auditorium where the poverty was just palpable, I think what broke my heart the most was sitting there in wandered off the street to sit down in front of me a Muslim woman and her three-year-old daughter. And I thought, what a shame that this woman who wandered in and as soon as the service was over, wandered out again, never had the opportunity to meet the God of my Bible. And I turned to the guy who was there with me, a guy who happened to be the president of the seminary who had invited me over dear friend of mine. I said, what gives? Explain, this is why why we need to understand how to read the Bible. This is why this seminary is so necessary 
Because although it may look like a heart issue on the surface, and although it may be a heart issue to some extent, the vast majority of the pastors in my country, he said, have swallowed that pill because it's the only pill around. And they don't know how to read the Bible. So they feel much more comfortable exercising a demon than expositing a book of the Bible. This is why the seminary exists. And I've been told similar things about many of the secularized churches in Europe that are trying to recover but can't quite get there. I've been told many of the same. I've experienced many of the same of the privatized churches in the UK. And I think I'm coming to see that there are some well-intentioned churches here that are wrapped up in the self-help movement for a similar reason, that they don't know how to read the Bible. And so the heart issues that may lie beneath the surface, that very well do lie beneath the surface, can never be addressed because they don't know how to read God's Word. And that's how these things are addressed. I mean, think of the, think of the, 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 the revivals that, that, that mark not just church history, but the history of mankind. Think of Josiah and Hezekiah before him. Think of Ezra. Think of John the Baptist. And then all of the great awakenings that are, that are more contemporary to our own situation. Every great awakening is preceded by a reawakening to the Word of God. Which is no different for us today. And is why for the next 11 weeks we're going to spend the time to get to know how to read our Bibles better. And for some of you, this isn't going to be new. But I tell you what, as somebody who has three, almost four degrees in this area of life, I can't be refreshed enough myself diving into these things again. I've explained to people over the last years that one of the most formative events in my life, in my recent life, has been a cohort I'm, I've been a part of. We're wrapping up. We've been together for three years now. Um, in, actually, we meet at Grace Church of DuPage. Three years now, we've been, we've been taking the time to walk through books of the Bible just to remind each other of the fundamentals of the faith, the fundamentals of how you, how you deal with this book, how you read it well so that you can open it up, so that it can hit you where it needs to hit you. Three, four degrees later, and that's the most formative thing I've ever been a part of. And so we're going to take 11 weeks to cover what may seem familiar, but is utterly important to be reminded of. And to do that, we're going to be walking through the little book of Jonah. Because it's like Chris said earlier this summer, Bible is our middle name. And that's, that's not for nothing either. It's because we believe the Bible lies at the heart of all we are as a church. 
all of who we are, that as those following Jesus, by growing Jesus' followers, this is where we learn what following Jesus is all about. Where we fall in love with Jesus and learn what loving Jesus looks like. Where we learn what it means to love Jesus' followers. Why we should do it and how to do it best. And then we learn how to love this world that Jesus loves so much by living it out before them and sharing the word of God with them. And so here's how it's going to work. Each week, I'm going to share uh, with you a principle of how, how to read the Bible better. And then we're going to use this little book of Jonah to see how that principle might be put to work. And you could take it out. It's in your bulletin today. We're going to print these out so that you can keep them either in your Bible. If you think that it looks odd, there's a space on the side that's bigger than the space on the other. That's actually for three hole punches. It's not by mistake. You can put this in a binder. I have several of these lying around that I've walked through probably about at this point half of the books of the Bible. I've, I've used sheets like this and then on the opposite side, questions like these to sort of get into a book. And this is for you to take home and to use. And, and it's going to be something that we come back to. But this is principle one. This is principle one. If you have the Bible, you could take that out. We're going to print these out again each week. And the first principle we're going to look at today is called simply stop and listen. Stop and listen. Now, what do we mean by stop and listen? Well, what we mean by stop and listen is stop and listen. Right? Before getting caught up in the details of a book, it's helpful for, to first become familiar with that book start to finish. That, that this is how... Almost all of the books in the Bible were, were meant to be read. And the best way to do that is by reading the book beginning to end. Now, it's right that some books of the Bible are harder to do that with than others. It's true. That's true. Some books, and I've mentioned in there uh, Psalms and maybe the latter sections of Proverbs are, are harder to just read straight through. But the vast majority of books are meant to be done just that way. And if you're going to care enough to dig into the details of a book, you ought to care enough also to keep those details in context. Because like the Merchant of Venice said, right, even the devil knows how to cite Scripture for his own purposes. And it's the context that always brings us back to God's intended meaning for God's Word. And so, if you, you think of it like a, a painting or any other work of art, before getting, getting in close to appreciate the, the individual brushstrokes, it's, it's helpful to first step back and see the painting as a whole. Right? You don't go up to the, the, 16, uh, the, the Sistine Chapel, right? You don't stare up at, at, at the ceiling and, and zoom in first. You take in the whole, and then you can appreciate the details, like any work of art. And it's something like that. And while you're doing that, there's a number of things you can be looking for as you read through a book. And I've listed some of them on this sheet. 
Let me just highlight two, though, especially from that first section of what to be looking for. Let me just highlight two. First, as you're walking through a book, or as we're going to walk through Jonah in a couple minutes, note how the book begins and how it ends. Because often an author will show you his hand up front and then remind you of what he wants you to walk away with at the end. And that's helpful, except that those are the two parts of the book that sometimes we doze off for the most, right? We take those as least important, when maybe it's the opposite. Maybe those are the most important. They tell us the most about the author's intentions. So look at the beginning and look at the end, how an author begins the book and how they end. And be especially aware of how the book, how the book opens and is drawn to a close by the author, right? That's the question you're asking. What's the author doing here? Second, though, see if you can discern a structure to the book. These things, again, are in many ways works of art. And they've been, they've been written as masterpieces of the literary world. And so they're not just going to be thrown together haphazardly. So see if you, as you're reading, can discern a structure to the book and how the author develops their argument, or in this case, tells their story through the details in the middle. Because a good author will carry their point through from beginning to end. And the Bible is full of good authors. So see if you can tell how the book is structured. And then after you're familiar with a book, after you've read through it and scratched notes on it and, and, and taken the time to, to, to dig in a bit, then take some time to dig a little deeper and ask these three questions. What's the book all about? What's the main question the author's trying to address? And how do they address it? How does this particular book fit in with the larger story of the Bible? Because even there, right, these things were put together to be read together. And then ask, how does this book point to Jesus? Because every book does. Because that's how they were written to function. So that's the principle. Stop and listen. And now we're going to turn to, the, to Jonah and put it to work. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, right in the middle of all those names that are so hard to pronounce. If you hit Zephaniah or Zechariah, you've gone too far. If you're back in Genesis, you've not gone far enough. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. And I'm going to read this little book in its entirety. This is God's Word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went 
to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for, for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said would would come upon them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. So what did he hear? 
I know it's not the same as reading it yourself in the comfort of your own living room or if you and I were to go out to coffee. But just from listening to it, what stood out? The beginning, the end, how the author develops the story throughout. How does it fit into the larger story of the Bible? How does it point to Jesus? Well, if I were to take a crack at it, I'd say that the book of Jonah, from this peripheral reading, right? We're not getting into the details yet. But just from this peripheral reading is all about God's heart for the godless. It's a pretty good summary, right? God's heart for the godless godless, which is quite a bit different from, from what you might t- make of the story if you read any, any piece of it apart from the whole, because this story really isn't about a fish, even when Jonah is in the fish. It's more about the God who made the fish and appointed the fish to swallow his prophet as the prophet's return ticket to his homeland. So what? So he can start his journey over. Why? That the godless might, through his pithy and rather pitiful preaching, come back to the one that they were made for. Even the fish is about God's heart for the godless. It's a story about God's heart for the godless, about the wideness of it. And the contrast between the wideness of God's heart and the narrowness of his prophet's heart. That Jonah would would have rather taken the sailors down with him than admit that, that he was running from the Lord. And that even when everyone knows that's what he's doing, that he says, throw me overboard instead of turn the ship around. Okay, let's do this right. He would rather die. And that Jonah would have rather died than see those in that great city of Nineveh find life. 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cows. This is a story about God's heart for the godless and the wideness of it compared with his prophet. But let me suggest that it's not just a story about God's heart for a group of godless sailors or God's heart for the godless nation that those sailors point to after them. But a story about God's heart for God's godless prophet. For a prophet who is who is willing to let, he isn't willing to let God be God. And yet who is as dependent, get this, a prophet who is as dependent on the wideness of God's heart as everyone else who doesn't deserve it. 
a story about a God who, who doesn't destroy, but is patient and kind, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and no less to Jonah than everyone else. Even through the judgment of a watery tomb that turns out to be the means of a rather strange resurrection that is itself the foreshadowing of a greater resurrection still to come. This is a story about God's heart for the godless both near and far. Which means that as much as this is a story about Jonah, a biographical sketch of one godless prophet, something that seems to have actually taken place, that's what it suggests, right? That's as best as we can tell. An unbelievable story. As much as that may sound. As much as it's about Jonah, it's also a story about you and me. Because the narrowness of Jonah's heart is a narrowness, if we're honest with ourselves, reflected in our own. Yom Kippur is coming up in just a week or so if you follow the Jewish calendar at all. September 19th. It's the holiest day of the Jewish year. It's the Day of Atonement. The the completion of what they call the High Holy Days, in which, uh, tradition has it, God, at that point, will inscribe in a book of life the fate of each Jewish individual for the year ahead. So these high holy days, knowing that this is coming, that God is about to inscribe in the book of life your name with your fate for the year ahead, these high holy days are marked by each Jewish individual's attempt to make right all the things they've done wrong in the year past. But how absurd! Such efforts seem leading up to this day more than any other day of the Jewish year that was set apart to remember God must offer what man cannot. God must forgive where we cannot earn. Everyone running around trying to do it themselves when this holiday is about precisely the opposite. And what do you think is the one book of the Jewish scriptures that they conclude this holiday with by reading it in its entirety? The book of Jonah. They sit in one of the final prayers of that day, pleading with God, not knowing whether God will do it, And they read it from beginning to end. And when they reach those final words of God's question about whether or not Jonah should care, it's at that point that they declare in unison, we are Jonah. But 
But what they miss is that this isn't just a story of God's willingness to forgive those who repent, but about God's patience with those who want it. Because this is a, a story about the gospel, about God's heart for the godless. And not just the godless out there, but the godless in here. And whether the wideness of God's heart will ever be reflected in the wideness of our own. A wideness we see reflected most fully in the heart of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Gospel according to Jonah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, as we're about to sing of your ability, that you are able, and not just able, but of what you've already done in Jesus. I pray that we would even now remember that your being able is so significant because we are not. That we cannot save ourselves. That we do not deserve your grace. That you haven't even forced us to face a fish of our own. That you've spared us from the grave and instead sent your Son to die on our behalf. May we never forget what lengths you have gone because of your heart for your godless people. And by faith, I pray that your heart would be reflected in our own. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let me encourage you to read through this book a few times this week. Use the back of this sheet to write down what you see and what the author seems to be saying. And we look forward to diving deeper in. As you read, though, remember that God is God, and we are Jonah. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot